afternoon. Um, it is uh, lovely to see you. It's great to see some, um, some faces maybe we haven't seen for a while, and it's great to see some people who we've uh, maybe never seen before uh, at Gospel in the City. You're very welcome, um, whether you are a regular with us, whether you're here for the first time, um, or you're maybe returning uh, after a, a bit of an absence. Uh, it's great to have you with us. Um, just to, to make you aware, we are not particularly formal here, so if at any point you want to get up and you want to have a bit more tea and coffee, if there's any sandwiches left, grab away at them. Um, and we're very open and free to kind of just mill about um, as you go. Um, in Gospel in the City for the last while, uh, since before Christmas, we've been looking at the, the start of the Gospel of John, the, 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 the account that John gives of this guy, Jesus. Um, and what he says about him, what he says about what Jesus says about life, about death, um, and about the hope that comes from, from a life in him. Um, and so today really is, is the, the culmination of what we've been uh, talking about, or some of the culmination of what we've been talking about. Um, we're, we're, it's great to have, to have Jeremy with us. I'm not going to say very much um, about, about who he is, or where he's come from, or what he's going to say. Uh, I'm going to leave that to, to Sam and him, but it's great to have Jeremy with us um, to share with us today as we, we continue to think about this, this guy, Jesus, and the hope that he has to offer. So I'm just going to hand over um, to Sam and to Jeremy now. Well, Jeremy, can I invite you up? Uh, great to see you. Uh, welcome. Uh, my name's Sam, and uh, this is Jeremy Marshall, um, who some of you may have heard about because we've been uh, emailing you about, about Jeremy. Um, Jeremy's over from England, um, and uh, he's... He's happy to speak to us today about, about himself, about his life, and particularly about um, his hope for the future. Um, so, uh, Jeremy, maybe just uh, to begin with, just give us a sense of your kind of background in, in the workplace. We're obviously all sure. work, people working in and around City Centre Belfast here. Tell us a little Great. bit about uh, what you've done in Well, in I'm workplace. afraid to say I'm a banker, so it's still time to leave. If you <laughs> think that's totally shocking profession. Dreadful people should all be in jail. And... Um, my last, I worked for 35 years in banking. I worked in many different countries, mainly with Credit Suisse, so in private banking. And uh, the last, uh, well, about 10 years ago, I became the first uh, non-family chief executive of a wonderful family-owned bank called Seahor & Co., which is still owned by the Hall family. It's been around for about 350 years. And, um, yeah, it's a fantastic place to work. I really enjoyed it. And so you became chief executive, were you chief executive in Hawes for, for how long? Some time? About, about six, seven years. Six, seven yeah. years in Hawes. But then that all changed, obviously, quite rapidly. Yeah, I mean, about uh, six years ago, um, I found a small uh, lump on my ribs and um, went to the doctor. And those of you who've been through cancer have heard this story before. And uh, eventually they said, yeah, it's cancer. It's a very rare type of cancer, sarcoma, which is a cancer of the muscle tissue. But the good news is it should be curable. I went through lots of different treatment. I carried on working, seeing which my wife told me after it was a stupid thing to do. But anyway, men do stupid things, don't they? And um, then for about another two years, up until 2015, I, everything seemed to be fine. I went every three and then six months for checkups. It was fine. And then one day about, uh, uh, yeah, three, nearly four years ago, I was at a friend's house having, uh, it was a hot summer's day. I went to adjust my collar and I felt a large really large lump on my collarbone, like a golf ball. And um, to cut a long story short, yeah, I went back to the hospital and uh, they said, um, yeah, you've got tumours everywhere. We're not quite sure how, you, how we missed that. And uh, we can't cure you. There's too many. They're too large. 
And uh, yeah, how long have you got to live? Well, 18 months. But hey, as you can see, that was, uh, that was wrong. So I'm really thankful to God to be here. that was in about 2016, That was right? 13th of June 2015, a date that's kind of seared on my yeah. memory, yeah. Well, so, tell us about what was the impact of that in the kind of immediate yeah, it's, it's, period? It's really, yeah, like being punched in the face to be told you're going to die. And um, yeah, I, I burst into tears. I mean, um, I don't want to die. I'm not, please, I'm not trying to myself as some sort of super Christian who just effortlessly floats from one you know success to another no it's really hard to have cancer it's uh, both physically dehabilitating I've been through uh, 24 different uh, chemotherapy treatments I've had loads of operations I've also had um, big problems with my eyes um, I've only got one eye so you're on the right side Sam <laughs> over here I can't see a thing and um yeah, if you read about a sort of NHS crisis, I'm personally responsible for sort of gumming up the whole, the whole work. So, yeah, it's really difficult. And it's also an acid test of your Christian faith. Do you really believe what you said you believe? Yeah, yeah. Now, we, 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 time is, we're pressed for time this lunchtime. We're going to try and make sure we finish by, by 22. And um, Jeremy has given me permission to kind of ask him the kind of challenging questions and kind of cut to the chase. So we're going to do that in a second, Jeremy. But just, 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 just give us a flavour... You mentioned your Christian faith there. Just tell us uh, what the kind of backstory is of, of, of that. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, my father was a pastor. They're usually the worst, aren't they? The uh-huh. most troublesome kids who drive their, I'm looking at my friend Jay over there, drive their, their, their pastor father's nuts. So I used to drive my father absolutely nuts. I used to tell him, uh, yeah, the Bible's full of errors or you're the most boring preacher or why do I have to listen to you? And um, one thing that sort of changed my view was um, my father, who was a kind of large in life, somewhat eccentric character. Um, he was in the same church for 50 years. Um, his idea of a summer holiday was to take, um, I've got three younger sisters, the four of us, my mother, um, Bible smuggling, you know, like probably some of you read about Brother Andrew. So we used to every summer go off in our Austin 1800, one of British Leyland's finest products that was always breaking, breaking down. And uh, we go to Behind the Iron Curtain and USSR. And the thing that struck me was if you go to a, a meeting like this in, in say, uh, the Soviet Union, outside the church would be a police car, the KGB, and they would just be noting down. It would be as if there was a police car there. Everybody coming into this, they'd be noting it down. And then if you were uh, a Christian, you went to church, then you couldn't get a job, you couldn't go to university, you couldn't get anywhere to live. And often, sorry Sam, the pastors would be in the you know, Gulag archipelago. So the obvious question, friends, is, well, why on earth would people do that when there was every possible human reason not to do that and I submit to you that the reason that they did that was because they believed it was actually true Um, so I think that was a when you're brought up in a Christian home yeah it can you can kind of you know kick against things and try and 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 be a rebel and look we're all rebels aren't we how does the bible opens it opens with rebellion I want to do it my way not God's way but um yeah, the sudden realization that maybe maybe it was actually true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, made a made a big difference. And you got more involved in church then, I, I suppose, over the over the years. Yeah, no, I was. Yeah, I've, I've, I've always been a Christian, but I mm. felt a tremendous imperative since I've been ill to sort of get a move on and be yeah. a, be maybe a better Christian than I, than I should have been before because um, life is short. I mean, a verse that. Uh, I've been really struck by since I've been ill is um, Jesus said we must work while it's day because the night comes when no one can work well the night friends is death right so no no more opportunity to share our faith or do good in 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 heaven it'll be great but it'll be too late for lots of things so I felt a kind of imperative to 
I felt God's giving me a kick. Get a move on. Yeah. That's really interesting because I suppose a lot of people in your situation, even if they had some sort of faith or a Christian faith, might actually react the other way. And you hear of people sort of losing their faith in this scenario. So why is it that you, you've responded like that, do you think? Why is it that you've it's kind a, of encouraged you yeah, in your faith rather gra- than being... That's, that's nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm some kind of guy. I really want to stress it's some kind of, you know, per, amazing person. No, it's God. So what matters is not that we hold on to God, but that he holds on to us. And um, I felt that powerfully. I felt the presence of God much more powerfully, much more, much, much more <laughs> in recent years than before. And it's funny, isn't it? If, I don't know if um, you know, any of you like sailing. I don't particularly like sailing because I always feel seasick. But I've got friends who do, so they take me out on their boat. And if it's sort of a calm day, beautiful sunshine as it usually is in Belfast except for today um, it's good isn't it you don't really focus much on it you're just enjoying soaking up some rays but if there's a really massive storm then you pay attention so God often does his best work in storms because in storms he has our attention and tell us what it is then that that keeps you keeps you optimistic I suppose in the face of yeah. in the face of this incurable diagnosis well here especially I'd say a word to anybody who's here who wouldn't call themselves a Christian and I'm so appreciative of you coming and, and, and listening um, you know death is a death is a grim reality you know that the sorry to be cheery on a on a Wednesday lunchtime but what's the death rate in this room it's 100 percent right <laughs> any of you think you're immortal and might want to have a look in the mirror um, Benjamin Franklin famously said you can avoid everything in life apart from death and taxes. Um, having worked in private banking in Switzerland, I can tell you that's not altogether true. <laughs> and, uh, but you can't avoid death, can you? Cannot avoid it. And yet it's the one thing that we, humanly speaking, don't want to, don't want to think about. And if there's a deficit of one thing I, I submit to you in our, in our world today, it's, it's hope. Many of you will know John Lennox, Professor John Lennox, who's from from uh, Ulster, and um, he's written a very good book, which I'm, I was speaking at another thing last night. I've given them all away, I'm afraid. I would have had some left over, and I recommend it really highly. It's called Have No Fear, and it's really about hope. And he tells this story. He's on a train um, uh, coming back from Cambridge, and um, he's reading his Bible, and opposite him uh, on the train is um, a scientist who he sort of vaguely recognises, another professor who's reading something else. And the guy says to him after a bit, oh, you're, you're John Lennox, aren't you? He says, oh, yeah. So, what are you reading? He said, I'm reading the Bible. The guy goes, oh, the Bible? Come on, why are you reading that? There's nothing, nothing in that. Well, why on earth are you reading it? So then it says, oh, it gives me hope, which is a great answer, by the way. And when you read the Bible, especially when you, when you read the Gospels, what does it give us? It gives us hope. That's what Jesus offers. He offers hope. And um, Lennox says, well, do, do you have any hope? And the man says, oh, yeah, I hope everything works out for the better. And uh, Lennox said, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean, do you have any personal hope? The man looks at him and says, none whatsoever. So that, if there is no God, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, then there is no hope, then we're all heading for the grave and oblivion and that's it. And all we can do is just blame our bad DNA. But the Christian message is that there is hope and that Jesus actually came back from beyond the grave. So the central claim of the Christian faith is that Jesus Christ really rose from the dead. And by doing that, he proved that he was God, and he also offers us hope beyond the grave. Um, now, what, what is the substance of that hope? That we can get back to God, because the, the, the world is a mess, isn't it? It's not just cancer, there's, you know, there's also human evil, and if we're honest, there's also evil within each one of us. Each one of us, if we're, 
if we're true to ourselves, know there are things we've done that we're deeply ashamed of. So our, our problem is that our relationship with God is broken. And uh, the Bible calls that sin. And how can we get back to God? Well, only by God himself coming in human form and, and suffering and through his death on the cross, opening the possibility of being reconciled back to God. So that hope of um, everything being put right, all the sin, pain and evil being removed is a wonderful thing. And you know, almost the last verse in the Bible says, and God himself will wipe away every tear. So friends, this world is a, as my father used to call it, a valley of tears, and he's right. Because although there are lots of good things and we enjoy our work, don't we? We enjoy food and all sorts of good things, families. Ultimately, death is waiting for each one of us. But the Christian claim is there's hope in the face of death. And uh, um, next week we're going to be looking at a promise Jesus gave to a man in the face of death to encourage him and to, and to give him hope. Um, so Jeremy, I wanted to ask you, are there any particular promises or, or stories in the Bible that have been a particular encouragement to you in, in your journey? Yeah, I mean, one thing, when you're really ill... Um, the word of God comes alive and um, you feel it's powerful and you feel it's actually written for you and without over-dramatizing things I believe it is written for, for, for us that when God purposed the Psalms for example or the Gospels to be written of course they were written also to the people at the time but God who's infinitely wise and great also thought yeah in 2019 it can be useful for you and for me so where do, where do I kind of get my, my, my spiritual medicine from, if you like, in, 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 in cancer? Yeah, in, in the gospel. So, yeah, John, um, just if some of you know this, maybe others don't. So in, in John's gospel, John was one of Jesus's followers. He, so it's an eyewitness account written shortly after Jesus's um, death and resurrection. And um, John tells this story. Um, we haven't really got time to kind of read the passage, but I'll, I'll give you the synopsis. So uh, there's a man called Lazarus who's a friend of Jesus and uh, Lazarus is very ill. Jesus' disciples say, um, Let, let's go, let's go and help him. Jesus doesn't go. No, he doesn't go. That's interesting, isn't it? That God allows evil to happen for his own purposes. In fact, Jesus says that this will be for the glory of God. But he also says something else. He says, eventually he says, okay, now our friend Lazarus is asleep. Now, the disciples think, oh, if he's asleep, he's going to get better. You know, if you've got someone in hospital and they're very ill and they go to sleep, that's a good thing. But Jesus meant he's dead. But he's still the friend of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? So we are still God's friend, even if we're dead. And if you've got loved ones who have died in the Lord, they're still God's friends. In fact, we're, we, the, the first thing we see when we die is we see Jesus Christ face to face. So Jesus goes off and um, he gets there. Lazarus has been dead for several days. And Jesus, um, Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, come out to meet Jesus. And they say, oh, if only you'd been here, you wouldn't have died. So that's interesting, isn't it? They have an element of faith, but they also have an element of doubt. And that's okay. God tells us to come as we are. He doesn't tell us to get all our theological issues straight. No, the invitation is come and believe in him. Just come as you are. And um, Jesus says, um, if you believe your brother will rise again. And, and Martha, one of the sisters, says, uh, well, I believe you'll rise again at the last day. And uh, Jesus then says, I'm, I'm the resurrection and the life. Seven times in John's Gospel, Jesus makes these I am claims. And I am in Greek is egoimi, which um, if you look at the Greek translation of the Hebrew, is part of the divine name. In fact, Jesus nearly gets himself stoned to death when he says, I, I am. 
So by making those I am claims, he is saying the, the Yahweh God, the God of the Old Testament, that's me. And um, he, then does, he then does two amazing things, which I think, what, what, do we need, what do we need in cancer? What do we need in any suffering? We need to know, the, we need to know God more. We need to know God. We need the reality of Jesus Christ more in our lives. That's what we need, friends. That's what you need also if you're not a Christian. You need to know him. And, and he wants to be known as well. So he does two things. First of all, it says Jesus wept. Right? He's deeply moved. So God does, I mean, the, the question of why suffering is a big, big one and a very difficult one. And uh, there are no glib answers. But one thing we can say is that God cares about our suffering not only cares in a general way, but he's God. Christians believe Jesus is obviously 100% God and 100% human. God cries in that sense. God is moved by our condition. But it's not just compassion, because if God had compassion but didn't do something about it, okay, that, that, that wouldn't be so good. No. Then he says to the, the people around, okay, roll the, roll, the tomb, roll the stone away from the tomb. In doing all this, obviously, he's prefiguring his own death and resurrection which is going to happen just a few weeks later and then Martha says well hang on a minute he's going to stink he's been in there for four days and um, Jesus says no just just believe if you believe you can see all things so eventually they do roll it away and then Jesus says in a loud voice Lazarus come out now many years ago about a hundred years ago in Wales there was a minister giving a talk to children about this and he said um he said, uh, why did, why, I won't try and do a Welsh accent, what, what, why did um, Jesus say, Lazarus, come out? And there was a little boy, who many of you will have heard of him when he grew up later, was Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a famous Welsh preacher in London, gave the answer, which is a really good one. So they didn't all come out, right? Because that's a cemetery. So the voice of God is so powerful, friends. If, <laughs> if Jesus was standing in front of a big cemetery in Belfast and said, come out, every single grave would open up and they'd all come out. And in fact, Jesus says exactly that in John's Gospel. He says we'll all one day hear the voice calling us to come out. And if you're not a Christian, the voice of Jesus through this rather imperfect, very imperfect, sinful human being, me, is inviting you to respond to that voice. You're going to hear it one day. And then that's why Jesus came. Why did he come? He came to, to save from the, the second death. Because the first death, physical death, is something we can't avoid. But eternal death, which is ultimate separation from God, that we can avoid and that's what Jesus came he came to offer eternal life and if there's one theme in John's gospel which is an amazing just so powerful and effective um, transmission testimony to, to Jesus it's life that's mm. what Jesus comes he's, he's going he's going around offering life and you understand that to be a little bit more than simply physical life is that is that fair so it's not simply coming back to life again but there's something fuller about that yeah life? how would you sort of well I think there that? are two lives I mean Lazarus obviously did come back to life but he then died, he's not around now. Yeah. So even, you know, I believe that God has given me some extra time and extra years, and every day I feel, wow, it's great, I'm alive, I feel all right, you know, I'm in beautiful Belfast, it's good, it's great. But ultimately, we've all got to die. Um, but the, the, the most important thing is before we die, to get right with God. And that's really what eternal life is about. It's being right with God, having our sins forgiven, and also receiving in that, the, the, the powerful presence of the Lord Jesus. That's, for me, you know, what, what does Jesus mean? His name is Emmanuel, God with us. So and cancer is, can be a very lonely thing because you spend all the time sitting around waiting for stupid treatments and usually that, after about six hours of waiting, they say, I'm sorry, the biochemistry results are still not here. The machine's broken down, you have yeah. to come back tomorrow. It's like, oh, great, thanks a lot. But in that loneliness, 
then, and that's something on offer to everyone, there is the presence of God Almighty. And so you're almost enjoying some of that well, now. A bit strong, Sam. Yeah, a bit strong, yeah. I'm enjoying. I've, I've, but, yeah. heard you, you know, I've heard you quote from Augustine, who was a Christian thinker who lived about 1,600 years ago, who, who says, what's he say? Our hearts are restless until they find their yeah. rest in you. Augustine that, said, right, um, yeah, Augustine said, you made us for yourself. Mm. So we are designed to know God. That's why we're unhappy, because we don't know God, because that relationship is broken. Mm. And then he added that, yeah, and our hearts are restless until they find rest yeah. in you. Yeah. So you have a li- you're enjoying a little bit of that rest now, even amid all I the... feel it's a real privilege to be, a- and I'm, I'm honoured, I'm serious, to be able to come, and I, mm. I did a couple of talks last night. And um, being a Christian is not about being superior or about being morally better than other yeah. people. No, it's like a cancer patient having a cure for cancer, which you want to share with other people. You want other people to have the same thing you've got because it makes all the difference in the world. And I suppose some of us maybe here, and some people maybe you've chatted to about this, might, might well have said to you, is this just wishful thinking? Is that, has, has that come yeah, up in yeah. conversation? If I had a you... pound for every time, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's a very natural question. Um, we don't really have time for questions today, but um, I, I love taking questions like that in a well, way that are more sceptical. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that is a very legitimate question because if you're in my position... Um, you know, facing death, then, yeah, isn't it, isn't it just wishful thinking? And, yeah, it's kind of like whistling in the dark. Um, and that, that, is a, that, that is a risk, I think. But the reason I'm a Christian is not because it's helpful, although, of course, it is helpful versus the alternative, which would be a kind of Dawkins-like view that there's nothing there and we're just going for oblivion. The question is not, is it helpful? The question is, is it true? Is it true? And what's the central claim of the Christian faith? That Jesus Christ died, for, uh, died and rose again after three days. And that, I submit, is historically verifiable. And that if we look at the evidence, and we look at the pos- all possible alternatives of what might have happened, and we don't have time to go into that, but there's lots of books about There's a very good book called Cold Case Christianity. I don't know if any of you see it by an American poly- uh, detective called Wallace. Um, which looks at you know, all the different angles and aspects, then it seems to me that the overwhelming weight of evidence is that Jesus really did die, uh, die and, and, and rise again. And um, any other possible explanation has such massive flaws that if you eliminate it, you're left with, actually, he did. It's a bit like the famous Sherlock Holmes story, Silver Blaze. I don't know if any Sherlock Holmes fans here, but um, in this story... Um, Holmes solves it to do with the stealing of a racehorse and uh, at the end Watson you know is the kind of rather stupid sidekick <laughs> says well that was amazing Watson how did you, uh, Holmes how did you do that and he says having eliminated all other possibilities whatever remains however unlikely must be true so any other possible explanation of the resurrection doesn't make sense Jesus therefore I, I suggest to you really did rise from the dead and the thing that underlines that is that many of his followers within a few days and a few hundred yards away were standing there saying he's risen from the dead and then they were executed many of them for it so why would you do that if it wasn't true now some misguided christians will tell you oh it was a kind of you know the spirit of jesus lived or the idea came back i don't know if i should use this phrase but that's bullshit basically i mean that's nonsense no people don't die for a nice idea they die because they believe he really had come back from the dead 
Well, Jeremy, thank, thank you very much for sharing some of, some of your story. I'm conscious we've not been able to dig into all of it, but thank you for what you've um, shared with us. Um, now, you, you're, um, you're um, somebody who's not in the workplace anymore. You've been able to um, re- retire and spend your life investing in thing, things like this. So what would you say to us, as a, I suppose, for those of us who are spending a significant chunk of our lives yeah. in the workplace? You know, you spent 30 years or so. Nearly 40, spent, yeah. 40 yeah. years spending yeah. time. What, what would you say to those of us who are, who are in the workplace? Well, f- yeah, first of two things, really. How, how much time have About we got? three Sam? minutes. Okay, three minutes. Okay, I'll go. Right. I'll, talk, on each. I'll talk fast. Number one, work, work is inherently good, right? When the Bible opens, what's happening? God is at work, right? And God looks at his work and says it's good. So I'm going to talk about evangelism in a minute, but work is not a means to an end where we just do a, do a job because it's a way of reaching our friends. No, it's, it's a good thing to do. It's a really good, rewarding thing, which is why unemployment is such a bad thing because it's in a way taking away the work that God's, um, God's set for us to do. And also the idea, sorry Sam, that there's some kind of pyramid where the pastor or the missionary in cannibal infested islands is at the top and then, you know, teachers and social workers and nurses are next and then, you know, business people and then bankers are right at the bottom. Where's that in the Bible? No, that's nonsense. I mean, that's completely crazy. That's no way. So all work is equally, maybe not, you know, um, drug dealing and other things, but all all legitimate legal work is good and and lawful and and to be... to, to, to be enjoyed. I do believe that um, we have opportunities to share our faith. And um, one of my most disliked Christian phrases is preach the gospel and where necessary use words, which apparently St. Francis never actually said. But it's nonsense. How are people, otherwise people just look at us and think, oh, that sounds a really nice person. No, we, we should do it. We need to do it in a, a loving and caring way. And the way I found particularly good is to, as you know, Sam, is to chat with people about John's gospel. So I, you know, um, with friends of mine from work, now I've got a bit more spare time in between chemotherapy. I just say to people, do you fancy having a chat about John's gospel? And actually a lot of people do. And um, maybe it's different in Belfast, but in London, I can tell you, people know nothing. They absolutely know nothing about the Bible. Nothing at all. Not not even the most basic stuff. It's amazing. But then when, when you sit down and you just have a friendly chat with them in a coffee shop about uh, John's gospel, it's just amazing because the word itself, we, we need to recover our confidence in the word. The gospel has an intrinsic supernatural power. And if we can just get people to open it up and have a chat about it with us, it's effectively a Bible study, but I never call it that. It sounds like an exam, doesn't it? You're going to be like, you know, quizzed at the end. No, just have a friendly chat. And um, yeah, people are gripped by it. They love it, I've found. Now, some people say, no, I don't want to do that. That's fine. Uh, I'm going to finish now. But the, the, what's the biblical model for evangelism? The sower right seed is small you just chuck it out just chuck it out see what happens after that it's up to god yeah and and what's the what's the intrinsic powerful seed that contains within it life that's that's his word especially the gospels yeah Yeah. um jeremy's referring he he uses a resource that some of us have been trialing over the last couple of months here at gospel in the city called the word one-to-one it kind of just takes you through john's gospel with some notes sort of thing you can kind of give to a friend and the two of you can sit there and kind of read through it together, and the answers are all kind of right in front of you. So if anyone's interested in finding out a little bit more about that, how to speak to me or Stephen or any of the leadership team, if you know any of the other guys, and we, we're all kind of happy to chat about that with you. But I think we better, we better finish up there. So shall we just show our appreciation to, to Jeremy for uh, speaking to us? Thank you very much. Oh, it was very quiet, very quick, right? <laughs>
very serious. Um, guys, that's us, that's us really done uh, for today. Do not feel like you have to rush off or you need to leave. I think there's a whole pile more sandwiches that have been brought out there, so if you want to grab some sandwiches, another drink, sit and have a chat. Um, if you want to chat around your tables about what, what's been said here today, um, do so. If you have any questions you want to come and ask Jeremy, um, do that as well. Um, can I just pray for us before we, we go? And that'll be us. Lord, we thank you that we have been able to meet here together. Um, Lord, and to hear from, from your servant, Jeremy. Um, Lord, we thank you for the hope that you have given to him. Lord, even in the most difficult um, and horrible of circumstances, Lord, he has been able to cling to you. You have given him the strength um, to keep looking to you. Uh, and Lord, as we go uh, back into our workplaces, Lord, into, into our own struggles and difficulties, which may not be um, as serious as those that Jeremy's facing, Lord, we pray that you will go with us. Um, Lord, we pray that you uh, will, will help us and guide us and keep us, Lord, and help us just to know that you are there, that you love us, um, Lord, and that you care for us. Uh, Lord, and help us to look to you in all things. Amen.